Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Call to the Bullpen. I'm your host and CSMN senior baseball correspondent, David Payne, and today we're going to be talking off-season recap, winners and losers, 2021 predictions, and a special segment at the end that you're going to want to stick around for. Let's play ball. get into the off-season recap, I just want to take a minute to tell you guys a little bit about myself. So I am a baseball player at the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, which is how I know our CSMN founder, Kyle Milligan. We are teammates together on the MCLA ball team. I was on a couple episodes of Kyle's podcast, The Press Box, over the summer, and then he had hit me up saying, like, hey, dude, I'm starting this network. Uh, like, would you want to be a part of this? And I was like, hell yeah, dude. Like, I, I love talking baseball. I could talk baseball for hours. So I'm super excited to have a platform to talk baseball and have people listen to my crazy hot takes and stuff. So um, I'm super excited. And I think that MLB lacks a connection with young fans, like my age, college age, high school, and even younger. And I think that we at CSMN and Call to the Bullpen have a really cool opportunity to help build those relationships with younger ball players and younger baseball fans. I grew up around spring training fields, minor league games, major league games, uh, all sorts of baseball. My dad took photos for Topps baseball cards, so I would go with him to all these different games. We were at the first World Baseball Classic qualifiers, all sorts of cool stuff like that. I got to meet tons of players. Josh Beckett held me when I was a baby. All sorts of cool stuff like that. And, and through that, like, collecting autographs became my thing. Like, if I'm going to a ball game nowadays even, as, as a young adult, like, I'm there before the game waiting for players to show up to get autographs. I'm there after the game waiting for them to leave. And, and that's really, like, how my love for baseball came to be. Now, as far as the offseason goes, the MLB offseason has a tendency to feel really slow. Right, it's a long off season. It's, it's from the end of October to mid February of no baseball action, and it's not like other sports where you have like all your signings happen in like the first week, and, and guys are talking to teams before the season even ends. It's a long, drawn out process. I mean, we're we're two days into pitchers and catchers now, and we still have some huge names that aren't even signed yet. Uh, to name a few, Yasiel Puig doesn't have a team. Brett Gardner, Jake Odorizzi, Tyon Walker was golfing this morning while the other pitchers are, are at camp. Uh, Trevor Rosenthal and Mitch Moreland just signed today. Shinshu Chu doesn't have a team. Jonas Cespedes doesn't have a team. So, I mean, the, the offseason really even goes into the start of spring training. Uh, and that can make it feel like not a lot's happening. It can feel like there's not too much going on. But, but when you kind of break it down, that's, that's not really the case. Right. To kick things off, MLB made two huge hires in, in the, the corporate level, bringing in Ken Griffey Jr. and Theo Epstein as special advisor and consultant regarding on-field matters. I think that 
one, the Griffey signing is really big for what I just mentioned with the lack of connection with younger fans. Even though a lot of people my age and, and definitely younger than me never saw him play, he's still like a pop culture icon in baseball. The kind that baseball generally doesn't have. Like, there's not many guys who have had a signature shoe in Major League Baseball, which, speaking of, just this week, it was all over social media. They had brought the Griffey shoe back, which is uh, one of those things that's going to really help with young fans. And then everybody knows that Theo Epstein is the guy who rebuilt the Red Sox, rebuilt the Cubs. So, so he really knows what he's doing uh, and hopefully can get baseball back in a more competitive state where you don't have you know, less than half the league trying to win ball games. And these moves to me on, on Manfred's behalf are to compensate for his declining approval rating, uh, an attempt to save face, rebuild trust. And yeah, these should be able to help with all these problems that I mentioned before. Now, when we get into the actual roster moves of the offseason, again, it felt slow, but, but there was a lot of big things that happened, right? Nolan Arenado traded to the Cardinals. This is a, a top 15 player in the game, a franchise player changing franchises, another franchise player changing franchises, Francisco Lindor to the Mets. How about that one? The Yankees went out and got some starting rotation help with Jamison Tyon. The White Sox got some rotation help with Lance Lynn. Josh Bell got traded to the Nationals. And the Padres made a three-headed monster of rotation trades, going out and getting Blake Snell, Hugh Darvish, and Joe Musgrove. The Rangers and A's did a Chris Davis, Elvis Andrews swap. And then you get into your free agent market. We saw Michael Brantley re-sign with the Astros after a little mishap there. A couple reporters tweeted out that he was joining George Springer on the Blue Jays ended up not being the case. There were some rumors of, of them being a package-style deal, but that didn't end up coming to fruition. We saw Didi Gregorius and JT Realmuto back to the Phillies. I just mentioned Springer to the Blue Jays, but they also brought in Marcus Semien. Liam Hendricks to the White Sox. Corey Kluber to the Yankees, too, to help in addition to the tie-on trade. James McCann to the Mets, and the Braves brought in Charlie Morton, to mentor their young rotation. Now you can't talk about the 2021 offseason without talking Trevor Bauer. Bauer eventually signed a three-year deal with the Dodgers. He's got an opt-out after each year, $102 million total valuation. The first two years are record-breaking years. The first year is a $40 million year. The second year is a $45 million year both of which are record-breaking annual values. Now, he has an opt-out after each year, so technically, it's a one-year deal. So technically, he doesn't lose his bet with his friend. I don't know if, if all of you guys know about this bet he had with his friend, but, but him and his friend made a bet where he had to sign one-year deals for the rest of his career, or his friend got to shoot him in the balls with a paintball gun. So this opt-out after this first year here hopefully means Trevor Bauer's not taking, taking a paintball to the nuts, right? Now, his free agency, you sort of either loved it or hated it. I feel like um, I'm allowed to and qualified to talk about it because I'm, I'm kind of neutral on it, right? 
I have some personal experiences with Trevor Bauer this summer when they shut Major League Baseball down. Back, I mean, it's not really summer, but like April, they were airing Korean baseball organization games on ESPN. And as, as like a thing they would do, they would bring in Major League players to help like call the games. So Trevor Bauer FaceTimed in and somebody at ESPN messed up and they broadcasted Trevor Bauer's phone number to, to the millions of viewers watching ESPN. So naturally, Trevor Bauer's phone is blowing up, right? And he's getting calls and texts and, and FaceTimes out the wazoo. And him being the fun guy he is, is like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have fun with this. It is what it is. He, the next day, was like, okay, you guys all saw my number on there. If you saw my number, if you wrote it down, FaceTime me. I'm going to answer, I'm going to spend all day answering FaceTimes. And he did that. He, he had like a, a little whiteboard behind him. It said, you get one question to ask him. So he was, he was calling, having people call him and they would ask him one question and then, you know, hang up. A little 30 second FaceTime call with the MLB pitcher. So my brother and I, we sat there all day hammering away on the FaceTime button at like hours and hours of, of trying to get through to him to FaceTime him. And I, eventually, we got through to him. And at, at the time, it was the start of shrinking the minor leagues. So my question to him was, what do you think about the plan to shrink the minor leagues? I don't remember his answer word for word. Let's just say this. He didn't like it. He wasn't a fan of it. I, I have sc a screenshot. We'll find a way to get the screenshot so that you guys can see it. We'll, I'll either post it on my Instagram story or maybe we'll put it up on the CSMN one. I don't know. We'll, we'll work that out. We'll find a way for you guys to see the screenshot of me and my brother on FaceTime with him. That was really cool. Also, my dad's a big Trevor Bauer fan, so he buys shirts from his website, right? And all the time, he does, he does custom cleats for his games. And when you buy something from his website, you're entered in like a giveaway to win a pair of his custom cleats. My dad's bought like six, seven, eight shirts from his website. He's got a lot of entries into these giveaways. He, Trevor Bauer wore a custom pair of UCLA Jackie Robinson cleats for Jackie Robinson Day. And my dad won the giveaway. So sitting somewhere in my house is a signed pair of Trevor Bauer Jackie Robinson custom cleats. All right, so I, I have some positive personal experiences with Trevor Bauer. That being said, I think this, this offseason, I think he did a lot of good things, and I think he did some bad things too, right? I, I really liked at the beginning of the offseason, he was really interactive with fans. He was posting these videos like on YouTube, like, why should I sign with the White Sox? Why should I sign with the Angels? Right, like, cool insight into his free agency you know what's going through his head through this process and i thought that was really cool i think that that's the kind of stuff again like i mentioned before with griffey that baseball needs more of a little more interactivity there then we got into late december january and he kind of ran out of that content and some rumors and rumblings started coming out about where he's signing where he's going and at that point it turned ugly to me especially on Twitter where rumors would come out and and reporters 
would be tweeting things out. Oh, I'm hearing from my sources, Trevor Bauer is talking to, to this team and that team. And it seemed like every time that a reporter tweeted something, Trevor Bauer and his agent, Rachel Luba, were really getting on these reporters saying, this isn't true. Don't tweet things that aren't true. Leave it to us. Like I said, it's a long off season, right? Rumors are and always have been a part of baseball. That's how the off season goes. So, you know, it's slow. Guys got to report. Reporters got to report. They got to do their job, right? You're never going to be the one as the player, as, as the biggest profile free agent of the off season, you're not going to break the news. You're not going to break your signing. Somebody's going to get the source. Somebody's going to tweet it out before you get a chance to. And it, it turned a little ugly there with that going on. But I got to say, I thought that it ended fantastically. I know there was a, a, little, a little issue with the Mets and some merch on his website, but he apologized for that. I genuinely think that that wasn't supposed to happen and that was a mistake. I absolutely loved the video that he announced his signing with. I thought that was badass. I think if you're a top free agent in that offseason, go ahead, make a WWE style announcement of where you're signing. I think that's cool. I think it's better than than just Ken Rosenthal tweeting it out and that's it. Like imagine if Manny Machado, you know, there's all these rumors he's going to the Yankees, he's going to the White Sox, he's going to the Padres. Imagine a cool video from Manny Machado, you know, in his new threads. The things that Trevor Bauer said before before even putting on the Dodger jersey in the video were fantastic about his love for baseball and all that. I just thought that was a really, really cool thing that happened there. And I hope going forward, we see some high-profile free agents take a page out of his book, at least, at least with that. Now, just yesterday, right, this was not in my episode plan before this. Just yesterday... I'm recording this on Wednesday, February 18th. So yesterday on the 17th, late at night, Fernando Tatis Jr. got inked to a 14-year, $340 million contract extension. This is a guy who has played less than three years in the big leagues, but is in all aspects the face of baseball, right? He's, he's on national commercials with Gatorade, He's on the cover of MLB The Show 21, and now he has the third largest contract in baseball history behind Mike Trout and Mookie Betts. And on top of that, it's the largest shortstop contract in the history of baseball, um, which I, I'll talk about that a little bit later when we get into winners and losers and, and predictions. I don't want to get too much into that now, but it certainly sets the market for this coming offseason where you have some really big shortstop free agents. In this next offseason, Francisco Lindor, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, and Trevor Story are all set to hit the market. Right now, none of them are inked to extensions. They're all going to hit the market in, in 2022, as of right now. So there's some big shortstop money to come, especially with this being the precedent now. And, and this deal actually made the Padres the first team in MLB history to give out two $300 million contracts because, of course, they signed Manny Machado two off-seasons ago. Uh, the Yankees also, they have two $300 million contracts, 
But technically, the Marlins gave Stanton his contract. So that doesn't really count as the Yankees dishing that contract out. Now, beyond roster moves, we can't talk about baseball in 2020, 2021 without talking about COVID and some of the COVID debacles that happened over this offseason. We had the Cactus League, which is the Arizona Spring Training League, send out a memo to MLB asking them to push spring training back. We now know nothing came of that. Everybody's at spring training right now, full swing as normal. There was also a proposal from MLB for a 154-game season because uh, everybody knows COVID only comes out in the last six games of the season. And of course, that, that was rejected, and we are, at, like I said, in a normal spring training right now. They reported yesterday. And, and something that came of last year's COVID situation was expanded playoffs and a universal DH, which we, we knew the expanded playoffs wasn't going to be a thing for 2021. But the universal DH was a big question, right? And, and that was a big question throughout the whole offseason. And that's, that's a big reason why we've got guys like Yasio Puig and Cespedes and Sinshu Chu and Mitch Moreland just signed today. You know, we have these guys still on the market now because it was unclear for so long whether or not National League teams were going to need to go out and sign a DH or not. We know now that they didn't need to. These guys are probably going to end up on AL teams. Um, but that was, that was not a very good look and, and really contributed to the slow feel of the offseason. Speaking of COVID, COVID protocols for 2021 are going to, again, include seven-inning doubleheaders, the absolutely horrific Little League travel baseball extra innings rule, starting with a runner on second base in each half inning. They're going to have 26-man rosters, 28 in September, no limit on pitchers, a five-man taxi squad, Something actually kind of cool is that players are going to wear sensors to monitor social distancing and contact tracing. They're going to be testing players every other day. And to avoid situations like we had last year with the Cardinals and Marlins going out to strip clubs and casinos, there's going to be heavy suspensions and fines for violating the COVID protocols. Right, now that most of the dust is settled in the offseason with the roster moves, I feel comfortable putting teams into two different categories, right? We've got winners and we've got losers, okay? And I picked five teams that I think fit in each category based on their moves this offseason. So first off, the winners. My first winner and probably the most clear winner of the entire offseason would be the San Diego Padres. Everybody knows the Padres went out and they killed it. AJ Preller is the model GM right now. Traded for Darvish, Snell, Musgrove. The rotation is a five-headed monster with those three to go along with Lament and Paddock. They signed... Hey Song Kim, I hope I pronounced that right. My apologies to him if I butchered that. And they brought back Jerks and Profar to strengthen the infield. Then, Tatis gets the cover of the show, income to a 14-year extension. Machado's coming off a third in MVP voting. They had a huge monster offseason. Nobody saw it coming. 
kudos to them. My next winner, and, and this team almost found themselves in the loser section a few times because of some off-field issues, is the New York Mets. They made some massive on-field improvements. They missed out on a few guys. They missed out on Bauer. They missed out on Springer. But you can't discount the additions that they made. They made some really big additions going out and getting Lindor, signing James McCann behind the dish. They brought back Stroman on the qualifying offer. They got Carlos Carrasco in the Lindor trade. Trevor May for the bullpen. Jonathan VR is a great backup signing. Great bat off the bench, speed, pretty solid glove. They settled for Albert Almora in the outfield and center field. They could have done better there, but Papa Steve Cohen still has money to spend. Steve Cohen might be the biggest addition that the Mets made in the offseason, even with the Lindor, McCann. I mean, Cohen just came in and he dropped dick on this offseason. Then the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays stole Springer away from the Mets. They've got a young team. They're ready to compete. Made some big free agent splashes, right? Springer, Semyon. They got Mats. They signed Robbie Ray, Kirby Yates, they, and a couple other bullpen arms to, to help complement their young and exciting core. Uh, Nate Pearson should be in the big leagues this year. That is a top prospect. Their top prospect and one of the top 10 prospects in baseball. In my opinion, this offseason, the Blue Jays jump right past the Rays. And, and they're now in a position where they're ready to win. They're ready to compete. My fourth winner for this offseason is the big brother in SoCal, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They saw all the moves that the Padres were making. Had a lot of salty Dodgers fans on social media when the Padres were making all their moves. But they proved that they are still top dog in SoCal. They lost Jock Peterson, they lost Kike Hernandez, but they brought back Justin Turner. David Price is coming back after sitting out last year. And then of course they, they added Cy Young winner Trevor Bauer, added Tommy Canley, they added Blake Treenan, Corey Kniebel to the bullpen. I mean, they just bolstered their already ridiculous roster and, and really asserted their dominance in the NL West. Now this next winner, it, it pains me to say, and it's gonna make some of my colleagues at CSMN very happy to hear me say this. New York Yankees, they finally got quality starting pitching help. After years of settling for, for mid-tier guys, they finally went out and got some front of the rotation pitchers. And in addition to that, the fans love that they brought back DJ LeMahieu. DJ was a fan favorite. He's kind of the leader of the team. They lost Tommy Canley to the Dodgers. They traded out of Vino to the Red Sox. But they brought in Darren O'Day. They just signed Justin Wilson yesterday to go along with Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman, and whoever doesn't make the starting rotation. Because they actually, for the first time in a long time, have an excess of starting pitchers. Um, I do expect to see some bullpen moves from them at the deadline to strengthen that bullpen up. The lineup didn't really need work. The rotation was what they needed to address, and they did that. The one lineup move that I really liked that they made, actually, was signing Robinson Chirinos to compete with Gary Sanchez and Kyle Higashioka behind the plate. I think that Gary needs that fire under his ass to get him going, have someone to compete for an everyday spot with. We all know Higgy's going to be in there when Cole pitches. 
But I think Gary really needs that competition there. And I think Chirinos is there to fight for a roster spot. So I, I think that they're a, a dominant force. I think they're solidly third best team in baseball. And it, it hurts me to say it as a, a Baltimore Orioles fan, but go Yanks, I guess. Now for the losers. Nobody was a bigger loser this offseason than the Colorado Rockies. I mean, that the Arenado trade screams loser as loud as you can scream it, right? Trading away your franchise player. Oh, and, and here's $50 million too. I don't know what's going on in Denver. And the comments that their owner and GM made after the trade, I mean, if I was a Rockies fan, I would be vomiting is all over the place, hearing their owner say, Something along the lines of, we're never going to sign a big free agent. Well, you can't compete. You can't compete, and you're going to you know, you're gonna let your guys walk. You got Trevor Story, who's a free agent after this year. And the only way that this Arenado trade makes any sense is if you take the money from his extension and you lock up Story long term. With the owner making comments like, we're not the team that's ever, he, he literally said, ever ever going to sign a big free agent, you can't see them inking Story to a long-term deal. I think a Trevor Story trade is inevitable at the deadline. They are buried down at the bottom of the NL West for the foreseeable future. My next loser, Tampa Bay Rays. They lost Charlie Morton to the Braves in free agency, traded Blake Snell. I mean, the Rays find a way every year, right? They're always good. Nobody knows a single player on their roster, but they're always good. But Moneyball moves like trading Snell is just miserable for an already thin fan base, right? They already have 5,000 people showing up to games at the Trop. And then you really alienate your fans when you're trading away your ace. And you can see them in the future doing this with, with other players. You can see Meadows, Wanda Franco... Glass now all getting traded in their prime to save money because that's their model, which for them it works. They win 90 games every year, like I said, but it's got to be really, really hard to be a fan of a team like that. And, and I, like I said before, I think the Blue Jays jumped right over them, and I think that the Rays are fighting to stay out of third place now, not fighting to come in first. For my third loser. And this one's a big one. The whole NL Central. Quite literally, the NL Central is full of losers. That is five teams that have no chance to win any other division in baseball. These are five teams that are not actively trying to win a World Series. The Cardinals went out and got Arenado. Big move there. The Cubs got Jock Peterson. But these aren't moves that are going to put them on the level of the Braves the Nationals, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mets. These are not win the World Series moves. These are win the Central, get in the playoffs, and first round exit. That's what kind of moves these are. And I think that's horrible for baseball. Uh, you see massive amounts of talent were signed or traded out of the Central. Josh Bell traded from the Pirates. Musgrove traded from the Pirates. Bauer signed in free agency out of division. Darvish was traded. Tyon was traded. These are most of the good big name players in the Central just ended up 
leaving the Central, whether it was through free agency or trades. And that's an awful, horrible look for the division, those teams, and for baseball. My fourth loser is the Philadelphia Phillies. I just don't understand what the strategy is in Philadelphia. Bringing back almost the exact same roster that just had a 467 win percentage is a bold move, right? They didn't go out and get free agents, right? They spent big money, but they spent it on Didi Gregorius and JT Romuto. There's no effort to improve from their losing record from last year. When you go out and you sign a guy like Bryce Harper to a $330 million deal, that guy expects that you're going to build a winning culture and team around him. Look what the Padres are doing with Machado's $300 million deal. I I mean, if I'm Bryce Harper, I I wish I had a do-over. I wish I'm signing somewhere else. Their bullpen would be bad for AAA. Bullpen is like, it might as well be the, the, the Redding fighting fills, right? That They're not a major league team, even with the best catcher in baseball and a top five right fielder in baseball. And that's a, a really bad look for them. Now, my last loser is, is maybe a little confusing because on the surface, you might even group them in as a winner this offseason, right? The Oakland A's. Now, I I call them a loser, not because of how their offseason went for this coming season, but for the precedent that their offseason sets for the future of the organization. They let homegrown all-star MVP candidate Marcus Semien walk because, like the Rays, Moneyball. They lost Liam Hendricks to the White Sox because Moneyball. In 2021, it looks like they can win the division, especially with adding... Trevor Rosenthal today. Andrews filled that hole at shortstop for the time being. They signed Mitch Moreland. Uh, Mitchie two bags rakes in Oakland. So for 2021, they can compete. It was a decent offseason. But the precedent that it sets for the future of letting their good players walk because they're too expensive eventually leads you down the same road as the Rays, where you already have a thin fan base and now you're alienating them even more by letting all their favorite homegrown players walk. And t- to me, that sets a bad precedent for years to come. It, you know, it looks good for this year, but this was just not good for the future of the organization. Now that we've covered the offseason, it's time to look ahead to the 2021 season with standings and award predictions. To help me do this, I'm super thrilled to welcome the first guest in Call to the Bullpen history, founder of CSMN, host of Section 2 Show and the Press Box, Kyle Milligan. What's up, Kyle? What's going on, man? I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm super thrilled to have you. There's nobody else I think that I would want to have as the first guest on this podcast. Hell yeah, man. I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad I get to be here, and I'm excited that you have your own podcast because these people better tune in because you got a lot to tell them. Well, I appreciate that. So what we're going to do here is we're going to go – Division by division, starting in the AL East, and we're going to do our predictions for division winners and two wildcard winners in each league. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to set the stage for the playoffs. I'll kick us off with the AL East. You're going to like what I got to say here. New York Yankees are my pick to win the AL East, but I've got Toronto on their heels. I don't think you should sleep on Toronto Uh, I have a feeling that I know where you're going to go with this, but let's hear it anyways. 
Yankees. <laughs> Yankees. Yankees are going to win this division. Uh, it's it's going to be easy. They got they got a bunch of guys that absolutely mash. Uh, everyone in the division got a little bit worse besides the Blue Jays. Blue Jays did upgrade, but they, they just dominate in the box. You know, as good as the Blue Jays offseason moves were, I really respect the hell out of uh, all their moves. But they they just lineups great. Pitching is still it, it. Pitching doesn't even compare between these two squads. I think Robbie Ray was bad in 2019 and 2020. Kirby Yates is a great pickup. Pearson can be really good. I think they're one or two years away, though. I'm not really worried about them, David. So Yankees, no doubt. Yeah, Yankees are the clear favorite in the East. But let's get into the Central, where it gets maybe a little more murky. I'm going with the Twins continuing their dominance of the Central. I think the White Sox are really good. I see some chemistry issues with Tony LaRussa, he had a little incident over the offseason with a, a DUI telling the officer, do you know who I am? Uh, th- to me, that's not the right guy to lead this young ball club. Uh, but I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree. There is a chemistry issue there. And I don't think that man- that's not a good look to have a manager uh, that is going through all that in the offseason. And then to bring him in, I don't think you can expect to win a World Series with that culture kind of going on. But give me the White Sox to win the division, no doubt. I think they they are stacked. They have a stacked roster. And yes, I don't think they can win the World Series, but I think they're totally capable of winning this division. Um, they have absolute studs. They add him, Liam Hendricks. Um, this is a really good roster. Uh, they're going to be a really fun team to watch. I can't wait to watch them. Uh, and watch what their lineup does. I agree. I think they're they're a really good team. I actually had them down as winning the division until the Twins brought back Nelson Cruz. To me, that was the piece that put them over the top. But I did have White Sox winning that for a while. Now, the West, too, is a, a toss-up. The Astros aren't what they used to be. The A's lost a little bit. But I am going to go with the Astros here. I think the A's are right there, but I'm going to give the Astros the edge in the West. How about you? Houston's going to win this damn division. <laughs> as, much as, as much as I want to see them suffer, David, Houston is going to win this division. Their lineup is still stacked, even if Jose Altuve sucks again. The Angels refuse to better themselves and better themselves in, in the pitching specifically. And it's so sad to see Mike Trout's career just being wasted. He'll have all the reins and everything, but I don't think he'll have a ring. Uh, and the athletics have downgraded, like you said. So I, I really see Houston winning this division. It's not going to be fun, but, you know, let them burn in the let them burn in the postseason against the Yankees. I'd love to see that. Yeah, because we, we know the Astros have a history of losing to the Yankees in the postseason, right? Well, they're not allowed to cheat anymore, David. So, yeah, that might, that might start. That, that, that might start. All right, so we've got our division winners down. Now we need two wild cards. So my two wild cards are two teams that I mentioned as being right there, but not quite good enough to win the division. I've got the White Sox, who you had winning the Central, and I've got the Blue Jays sneaking in. I, like I said, I don't think they're going to win the division, but I do think that they're good enough to maybe sneak past the A's for that second wild card spot. What do you got? I have high praise for the Indians organization, man. And I, I understand that they got worse this offseason, but they always find a way to compete. And they, they will get rid of their stars. They got, you know, they let Bauer go. They let 
Kluber, got rid of Kluber, they got rid of Lindor. They find a way to compete somehow, some way. The Indians are going to make this postseason. I just can't see them being out of it. But I do have the Blue Jays in as my second team. I think they're going to have a really easy time beating everyone in that division but the Yankees. Yeah, I I like what you said about the Indians there. I do think that they're definitely going to be in the hunt. I really think it's a four-team hunt for that wild card spot. In in my scenario, that those four teams would be the White Sox, Blue Jays, A's, and Indians. You're not big on the Twins, though, huh? I'm not. See, the thing about the Twins is, uh, man, like they just suck in the postseason. So I don't want to see them in it. Like they haven't. I think it, they went what 13 straight games in the postseason without winning. Don't. Don't waste my time with them, man. Let's get the Blue Jays and Indians. Let's get them a one-game series. I'd love to see that. Yeah, the Twins are a classic first-round exit team, huh? So bad. It's, it's embarrassing, man. All right. Don't waste your time this year. Let's jump on over to the National League, the NL East. This is probably the most competitive, best division in baseball. I'm going to go against what the Pakoda projections said, which are, which are generally pretty horrible. They had the Atlanta Braves at 82-80 and 80 in third place. I'm going to go ahead and say the Braves retain their dominance in the East and go ahead and win this division. How about you? Yeah, we're, we're in the same place here. I think those rankings, me and you talked about those, uh, the, the bad, just, just bad. The, the Braves pitching is stacked. I got them winning this division. I still think they can improve in the bullpen. I would argue they have just as good of a rotation as the Mets, to be totally honest with you, and easily the best lineup in their division. This is a no-doubter for me. I think the Braves won this division easily. Yeah, they are, are much better than those Pakoda projections said they are. Now, we'll hop on over to the Central. The Central is a just a really bad division. Some team is going to win this division with less than 90 wins. But I think that with the Arenado trade, the Cardinals just stand uh, about a mile above the rest of the teams. I think that, that in such a horrible division, pretty much cemented them in first place yeah i got i got the cardinals also they're another no doubter for me their roster wise so much better than any other team in that division the cubs are sad again the reds downgraded the brewers are just you know not good enough to win a division man they're just not i think they have some good players and some guys that are fun to watch but as a team they're just not not really fun to watch nolan arnado paul goldschmidt are going to win the division no doubt yeah, I would put the Brewers in the same category as, like, the Mariners, where they're, like, perennially meh. Like, they're just a, a black, average team, year in and year out. Yelich has to have a historic season, I think, to put them in the playoffs this year. Yeah, a little Barry Bonds 2004 action from him. <laughs> yeah, dude, the Cardinals, Cardinals did get better. Uh, and the last division left is the NL West, which 19 times we're going to get Padres-Dodgers matchups. And when it comes down to it, those games, whoever wins that season series is going to be the division winner. But the Dodgers are just so good. The Do- like Even with how good the Padres are, I have got the Dodgers winning this division by a decent margin. What do you got? Yeah, they're stacked. I don't even think I have to say the team's name again. Uh, they're they're going to win this division. They have to stay healthy, you know, just keep their guys healthy, get into the postseason with who they who they have on the current spring training roster right now. Dodgers are going to win this division in landslide, and then they're going to go on to the World Series again, no doubt. Now, I, I gave my wild card picks first for the AL. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to let you give your wild card picks first for the NL. 
right, I got the Padres. I think the Padres are a really good team. Like you said, I think they have a chance to win 100 games this season because of their pitching. I, I really love Fernando Tatis. By the way, shout out $340 million. Go get your money. 21 years old. And, and I also have the Nationals. I think the Mets are overhyped. I think the Phillies are sad. I mean, you talked about that the other day. The rotation for the Nats is still scary, man. They had, they got Josh Bell, Starling Castro, Trey, Turn, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber. Juan Soto's an absolute stud. I think the Nationals are going to peek their heads in the postseason again. Yeah, I also have the Padres as my first team. I think that pretty much without a doubt, the wild card game is going to be at Petco Park in San Diego. They're going to be the first wild card. They would win any other division. But I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on the second one, even though I, I really like the Nationals. I Year in and year out, I advocate for the Nationals are better than you think. Just based on what the roster says, I'm going to go with the Mets for the second spot. In the MLB top 10 right now at each position, they have the number one starting pitcher, number 10 catcher, number seven first baseman, number two second baseman, number four shortstop, number six left field, number five center field, and number seven right fielder. But there's always a chance that the Mets are going to met and and the Nationals sneak in there. So I, I don't hate your pick. I agree a decent amount, but I'm going to go Mets. Now we're going to move on to our awards here. We are going to go Cy Young, MVP, Rookie of the Year in both leagues. I'll kick it off with my AL Cy Young pick. I think Lucas Giolito from the Chicago White Sox takes it. He showed glimpses of dominance last year. I think he's ready for the big time now. He's got huge bats around him. He should get really good run support. And he was seventh in Cy Young voting last year. So he's he's been in the hunt, and I think this is his year. What do you got? Giolito is nasty, man. That, that's a good pick. But I do have Garrett Cole for the second year in a row. I am going to win at least one of these. Didn't get 2020 Cy Young from Garrett Cole. We're going to get it in 2021. Odds are someone won't pitch like Shane Bieber did last year. Cole is on a tear at the end of the season last year into the postseason. He reminded everyone why he is the best in the AL. He had a one ERA in the month of September. That is insane. He's going to go on to win that Cy Young in the AL this year. I haven't looked at like the betting odds on Cy Young, but I would I pretty much guarantee that he's got the best odds to win it. So that's a pretty good pick. At least he should, yeah. Now switching over to the NL, I have new San Diego Padre, Yu Darvish, taking the NL Cy Young. He's in a less pressure situation than he was in Chicago. You know, in Chicago he was the ace. He was the the one guy that they looked to for a win every five days. He's got a little less pressure on him now. And he's got great infield defense with Machado, Tatis. He's got a great infield. I think he's going to thrive in San Diego. Yeah, I think you're going to be a little surprised about my pick. I like that pick. But I got NL Cy Young, Aaron Nola. I think he's due for a breakout season. I think he had a per walk per nine cutoff of about a half, a half like a, a point and a half in 2020. Um, from 2019. So I, I think that he's dominated in 2018, has to get W's, has to get help from that Philly lineup. And I think Aaron Nola's back in action and can get Cy Young this year. That's a good one. I like that one. Didn't want to stay boring. I was going not Aaron expecting Nola. that. Yeah, you kind of got to go with something a little out there for the NL after going with Cole for the AL, right? Right. Yeah, I had to switch it up there. All right. AL MVP. I am going with Los Angeles Angel. 
Anthony Rendon. You thought I was going to say Mike Trout, didn't you? Nope. <laughs> you should have. Anthony Rendon yeah. is my pick for AL MVP. I think people forget how good this dude is. He is so good. He is top tier. He gets a little overshadowed with all the hype Otani gets. And, of course, you know, it's hard not to be overshadowed when you're playing with Mike Trout. I think this dude's going to have a monster year this year. Who do you got? Mike Trout. <laughs> so I'm going to go with his teammate. I'm going to call call this a lazy pick all you want. All right. I tried to be fun last year. I picked Glaber Torres last year, <laughs> and he batted under 220. I mean, give me Mike Trout. He's the best player in the league, no doubt about it. Mike Trout's going to win the MVP this year. Show him who you are again, Mike. Well, we're in agreement that the MVP trophy is going to be in Anaheim. So Correct. My NL MVP now. I don't even think I need to explain this one. Gimme Fernando Tatis Jr. Bagman got paid. Gimme Tatis. <laughs> Who do you got? Man, I don't know. There's a lot of pressure on that 21-year-old to go out and win MVP this year. But I'd love to see him do it. I got Juan Soto. And I was I almost picked Nolan Arenado, but I decided on Juan Soto. Um, Freddie Freeman's a monster, but you know, we gave that to him last year. Soto's, you know, all time. He had a ridiculous 2020. He is so good. But don't get me wrong, Nolan Arnado is going to go off this year. I don't care about the split stats that you care about, man. He's going to have a great season. Juan Soto is going to win the MVP, though. That kid is ridiculous. Soto is a stud. He is definitely in the conversation for best hitter, maybe even best player after Mike Trout. He is, he is way up there, so that's a great pick. Now, here's where it gets fun for me. The rookie of the year. This one is probably the hardest award to predict because you just have no idea. You have no idea how these prospects are going to pan out. But based on a, a glimpse of Major League action last year, my AL Rookie of the Year pick, and I may be a little bit biased, is Ryan Mountcastle of the Baltimore Orioles. In a small sample size last year, he showed he can handle the big leagues, and this year he gets a healthy Trey Mancini and a healthy Anthony Santander back around him in the lineup. I think that this kid's going to be an absolute stud. Who do you got? Yeah, nice nice pick. I like it. I have AL Rookie of the Year, Randy Arozarena. And I think it, it might be a lazy pick, but it's the right pick. He was he was Mike Trout last year in the postseason. I'm trying to, you know, jinx him if you can't already tell. Uh, this guy's postseason last year, let me, let me list it off. 377 average, 10 homers, 14 RBIs, and 77 at-bats. That is Babe Ruth numbers in the month of October. Give me a Randy, a Rosarena. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy to think that he still has rookie status after, you know, he was so popular last year. And it's hard not to pick him with all the hype around him. I'm sure he's going to get a lot of attention. He's 25, years. man. He better win this award. <laughs> he's 25. He's had two years in the league. Now, speaking of guys who, who were in the bigs last year and got some exposure, shout out 518, my NL mm. Rookie of the Year pick, Ian Anderson. He dominated last year in his appearances. Gotta have high confidence coming into this year. He's got a veteran presence around him now in Charlie Morton that will only make him better. Shout out 518. Ian Anderson's my pick. Who do you got? Hopping on the bandwagon. Ian Anderson, baby. Shout out 518. Yes, sir. Ian Anderson's going to win the rookie of the year. He had a great postseason. Matched up against some of the game's greats. One of them being Clayton Kershaw and competed his tail off had a great postseason had a great season he's going to go on to win this rookie of the year in the nl that is csmn shouting out the capital region right there yes sir 
All right. Now, now that we're through with our, our picks and predictions and off-season recap, in addition to all the fun stuff that happened this off-season, I think that we at CSMN would be doing the game of baseball a disservice if we didn't mention the unfortunate passing of baseball legend Hank Aaron. As someone who holds Hank Aaron in extremely high regard, I felt it only right that we use this platform to do something to honor his legacy on and off the diamond. So at the same time that this episode drops, right when this episode drops, we're going to be launching a petition through change.org to retire Hank's number 44 in Major League Baseball and to change the Major League Baseball logo to reflect his likeness. So this petition will be on our website, capitalsportsmn.com, on our social media, on, on Instagram, at capitalsportsmn, and on my Instagram, at the David Payne, and I'm sure some of our other bloggers will shout it out too. But while I have you guys here listening, I just wanted to read through the contents of the petition because I, I think this is really important, and if you don't have the time to sit and read it, uh, I would at least like you guys to hear what it has to say. Henry Lewis Hank Aaron was everything a ball player and a person should be. In the MLB record books, Aaron ranks second all-time in home runs, third in hits and games played, fourth in runs scored, first in total bases, first in extra base hits, first in RBIs, fourth in intentional walks, and fifth in war for position players. Winner of the 1957 NL MVP and World Series, two batting titles, three gold gloves, and 25 All-Star Game nominations, Hank truly embodied greatness on the diamond. Quite simply put, Henry Lewis Aaron is the best baseball player to ever grace the major leagues. However, Hank's greatness and his legacy lies in the fact that although he was the best ball player to play the game, he was somehow an even better person. Hank's page on the MLB Hall of Fame website features a quote from Georgia Congressman Andrew Young that reads, Through his long career, Hank Aaron has been a model of humility, dignity, and quiet competence. He did not seek the adoration that is accorded to other national athletic heroes, yet he has now earned it. Playing in Georgia in the 1960s and 1970s, Hank was no stranger to the hate and racism that was so prominent in the South at this time. Despite his greatness on the field, Aaron was not an exception to this. When the Braves announced their move from Milwaukee to Atlanta in 1966, Hank said in an interview, I have lived in the South and I don't want to live there again. We can go anywhere in Milwaukee. I don't know what would happen in Atlanta. His worries were legitimate, as he was a black star on the first MLB team in the South during the height of the Civil Rights Movement. This was uncharted waters, and Hank handled it with grace, dignity, and class. In 1972, the U.S. Postal Service reported that Hank Aaron had received more mail than any non-political figure in the nation, most of which was filled with racist rhetoric and threats. Yet Hank never wavered. Even on April 8, 1974, the night of his record-breaking home run, Aaron said, My kids had to live like they were in prison because of kidnap threats, and I had to live like a pig in a slaughter camp. I had to duck. I had to go out the back door of ballparks. In his life, on and off the field, Hammer and Hank Aaron defined greatness. With his heartbreaking passing in 2021, we at CSMN and Call to the Bullpen call on Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball to properly honor him and his legacy. Like Jackie Robinson, a plaque in the Hall of Fame is not enough. Henry Aaron was a trailblazer and should be honored as such. 
He was the best to ever play between the white chalk lines and should be honored as such. We are calling on Major League Baseball to retire Hank's iconic number 44 across the entire league and to redesign the Major League Baseball logo to feature Hank Aaron as he truly was representative of everything the game of baseball should be. Now again, this petition will be on our website at capitalsportsmn.com. It will be on the CSMN social medias. We will have links to this everywhere for you guys to go and sign. I ask you, please, go sign this. Go share this. Kyle, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you say a few words about Hank and about this petition. Go ahead. Yeah, man. First of all, I want to thank you, David, because uh, this means a lot, uh, not only to me, but everyone in CSMN. Uh, this is a great honor, and it's a huge petition to get us started here at CSMN, and we really care about this. We're not doing this you know, for anyone besides Hank Aaron and for our love for the game. Uh, his career stats go without need of explanation, and everyone knew that knew Hank Aaron talked about who he was as a person. What he did for the game and what he did for the black community is amazing. Um, he, he received death threats when he came close to Babe Ruth's record um, because people believe the black man shouldn't trump a white man's record, his home run record. Just this guy spoke out against racism within the MLB out of his comfort zone was a then after he was done he was the executive vice president for the atlanta braves and became a leading spokesperson for that minority hiring in baseball an icon off and on the field and uh he left his mark forever on the game this petition is very important to me it's important to david and it now becomes important to the baseball community yeah and and again i just want to to reiterate, this is going to be on the front page of our website at capitalsportsmn.com. It will be on our social medias. And I, I just want to thank you, Kyle, for, for helping me with this. It's something that's going to be good for the game of baseball if we can get this out there. This isn't, like you said, this isn't about us. This is about honoring Hank. This is about, you know, bettering the game. So this is something really important to us. Kyle, I want to thank you for coming on today. It was, it was really awesome to have you as a guest, even though we seem to disagree a little less than we usually do. Yeah, man, you know, we're just warming up, okay? We, I, I want to keep you inside CSMN, so I'll be easy on you to start off, but expect me in the future to be a little bit more on you. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, Thanks for having me, though, David. Yeah, for sure, man. That is going to wrap up our first episode of Call to the Bullpen. I, I hope that you guys had a good time listening. I hope that you had fun on this hour with me. And I hope that you come back next week because we got a really cool episode coming for you next week. We have Brad Zampar, a baseball writer here at CSMN, coming on to talk Hall of Fame, to talk top prospects. Okay, he, he did a top 100 prospects ranking that we're going to break down for you guys. It's going to be a really good episode. And before I sign off, I just want to say thank you to a couple people. You know, Kyle just ended our call, but I want to, again, thank Kyle Kyle has made this as easy as possible for myself and for our other podcast hosts and our bloggers. I mean, it really has, has put a tremendous amount of weight on his shoulders to get CSMN off the ground and running. In addition to that, I want to thank Jaron Frangi. He has, I know he's been busting his ass to get the website and social media ready. Uh, he designed the fantastic logo for Call of the Bullpen. I couldn't be happier with the logo that he came up with. A big shout out to him for all the work he's done. 
And last but not least, a shout out to my editor, Bobby Lane, came up with my awesome intro music. He's going to put this all together so it sounds presentable and nice for you guys. And with that, I'm going to sign off. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you next week. What's going on, everybody? This is Kyle Milligan, founder of CSMN. Thank you so much for listening today. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Capital Sports MN and find all of our content on our website at CapitalSportsMN.com. Peace out, everyone. God bless.